Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 911, what's your emergency? I can't find Captain Nash and his wife's cruise ship. Somebody Tonight, 911 comes to ABC. If we're going to make it out of here, we got to work together. Tonight at 9 on ABC, followed by 7 News at 11. She was hired to fix DC's 911 problems. It was the worst I'd ever seen. But instead says she was fired for exposing the failures. The blame belongs in leadership. Now the I-team digs into what fueled the mayor's decision. Tonight on 7 News at 5. Hey, it's me, Dipper. I'm your bruiser. We're going to go exploring the caves behind our house. Hold it's on. Gonna I'm going to be need, amazing. Uh, right, already, already, you got to be sweatier. You got to be awkwarder. You got to be squeakier to pull a legit Dipper Pines. Oh, jeez. I'm Dipper. And oh, my. Oh, man. My feet are out of my shoes. You're oh. veering towards Morty. You're getting your like, I need you 30% less Morty. <laughs> Oh, jeez, Jake, I, yes, I'm canceled. I, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> What's fine? Give me your dipper. There's only one thing that'll get me out of this, and that's my highly regulated, uh, fuck, now I'm going Morty. <laughs> it's hard. It's a very specific vocal timbre. All right, your, give me your best Kristen Shaw, then. Give me your Mabel Wizard. Uh, oh, I'll, like, tear my vocal cords apart. Uh, sparkles! Sparkles. <laughs> what? Sprinkles. Yeah. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're telling the story of Gravity Falls. That's right. I've had my brain in Gravity Falls during our entire uh, Texas run of our tour, which has been a absolute blast to do. But also, it's been a real treat to have that as my flight companion. I have totally fallen in love with this show. Good. This is an episode people have been screaming for for so long. Uh, I, I just, I, I feel like back when we started this show, people were like, you know, you gotta, you gotta do Gravity Falls. And it makes so much sense. I mean, we've already done an X-Files episode. We've already done a Twin Peaks episode. So much of the influence on this show, we've actually already covered on our show. And then on top of that, it's like this perfect package that is so funny about kids growing up and that summer you had, that magical summer, whatever it was that you had, and it all wraps it in together and and just a lot of stuff. A lot there's a lot of like themes of like being afraid to, of becoming your parents and things of that nature that are weaved so beautifully into the show. It's definitely on my list now of like I can't wait to go back to this when Winnie's old enough. I and also I'm so sad this show didn't exist when I was a kid. I'm almost sad or it didn't exist when Henry was a kid. Henry Zabrowski. Well, uh, here's the thing: it can only ex- this show is so primed. It was made by what- kids like us. Yes, yeah. It yeah. is literally about the ages between like 12 to 13 
which is when you get obsessed with all the nerdy shit we cover, it is about like uh, conspiracy theories and the supernatural and existential horror, which is like the fucking last podcast network's entire like brand. Uh, it is this mix between the Simpsons with, with Twin Peaks. It is uh, sh- incredibly sharply written, full of uh, amazing internet era fan interactions and ARG style puzzles, um, an impeccable voice cast, tons of lore, and as always, the creators knew when to pack it in for maximum effect, making this a immortal series on top of everything else. I was a huge fan of this when this came out. I don't even know how I originally stumbled upon it because it was, you know, it was on the Disney Channel, something that I had no access to in my Brooklyn apartment in my 20s. But it was everything I had ever wanted in a show. It was smart. It was hilarious. It was irreverent. Right. You know, just even the baseline knowledge of conspiracies and cranks and kooks and all sorts of history of supernatural phenomenon was immediately rewarded if you came into it with all this knowledge and you knew what to rep. You know, there's there's a certain level of joy that you would have felt as a child watching this right right back in the day but the joy i felt going holy shit was that bat boy was that did they reference fucking bat boy is also super real evil dead Mm -hmm. was one for me there were all these references i was like wait is that an evangelion reference Mm -hmm. like in in some of the final episodes it was it's pretty incredible uh what what they get away with and all of the occult iconography that is runs all throughout it which is really hilarious in hindsight considering how many struggles uh alex and co had with the censors and everything it's kind of amazing what they got across and it was so good that jake left his own apartment in new york and ended up sneaking into that boy's house just to watch episodes, which I think no, was... I, uh, it's ve- I torrented the episodes as they came out. I oh, did not commit any crime. sneak into crime. a boy's house. No, I did not sneak into anyone's house, especially... Allegedly, you snuck into a boy's house You're to watch just the saying show. that because in your <laughs> whenever you say the word boy, it sounds especially <laughs> nefarious. What are you talking about? What do you mean how I say the word boy? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's <laughs> what right are you there. talking about? I'm just saying the word boy. No. See, again, it's the lingering on the why. No. It's the like <laughs> pot. It's a normal word. There are people, there are men, women, girls, and boys. Um, see, this is this oh, is the what? issue. How what do you mean? I just say a word. Anyways, <laughs> I, I really did. This is like such a funny. There there has to be like a German word for this, right? Like Schadenfreude or whatever. Like like there must be a word for having nostalgia for something that you weren't actually didn't experience as a kid. You know what I mean? That's like what the effect of this show gives me. I'm like, saying you can just straight up enjoy this as an adult in the world. It is the yeah. characters have unique, uh, unique relationships and you actually care about these characters. Oh, totally. There's yeah, a and consistent not- through line where you can feel the creators owned, uh, frustrations and agonies dealing with Disney Channel censors to the point where it creates a whole swath of original jokes that are super Mm -hmm. funny uh, throughout the series. And it has this pedigree that kind of uh, comes back from the Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack and Adventure Time and uh, then Rick and Morty knock on, you know, the the memory tarnished, tarnished memory of Rick and Morty. (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, Cartoon fans, ultimate cartoon. Fuck, even Josh Weinstein from like the legendary era of uh, Simpsons and uh, Mission Hill 
is like one of the writers for this. The uh, one of the Chapman brothers from Homestar Runner is involved in this and does voice work and punch up for this. Um, Michael Rianda uh, was like one of the creative consultants, and he went on to make Mitchell and the Machines. It is just this perfect. Ass- uh, dear God, Dana Terrence ends up creating the Owl House. Like everything, this was such a beautiful assembly of a Disney Channel executives that were. Still, like, in hot on this uh, Adventure Time high of, like, oh, people want artistically, creatively driven, uh, adult, serialized, uh, kids, children's shows. And this entire CalArts school that gave us every major thing in the world, uh, from Steven Universe, regular show, to every cartoon you can think of. It was a beautiful confluence of a moment in animation, and it's one that is actively disintegrating in front of our eyes as we speak. <laughs> you know, there was a, the big announcement when Alex Hirsch finally made his way to Netflix, and he got uh, Shion Takeuchi's uh, Inside Job uh, produced, and that was an amazing show. That's gone. All these other projects are gone. There's like, literally, he has one series left that is still supposedly coming out even after the great animation purge at Netflix. HBO Max had a massive animation purge. Like, all these places are really dumbing down what they want animation to be. But for a beautiful moment in 2012, there was a goddamn renaissance, and Gravity Falls, I feel like, was at the center. Yeah, it's no surprise to me that he was uh, offered a job at Pixar after Gravity Falls started uh, airing. This show does such a good job of wrapping together really wild, fun monsters and action sequences with uh, really like cute, fun, interesting characters and archetypes. And then there's also every single episode. They refuse to put an episode out that doesn't have some kind of heart mm-hmm. at the bottom of it some kind of maybe maybe not maybe messages to strong words but some kind of comment to make on being kids growing up on breaking family you know familial like generational cycles of trauma on on you know rom- romance as a middle schooler uh, you know mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things they just like they have to have all these layers and it is always so airtight these scripts these these episodes and First of all, God bless him for, you know, one, one definite thing to say up top. He intended it for it to be 40 episodes. You would definitely assume going into this, oh, Disney definitely canceled the shit out of this. Is <laughs> they were like, hey, why do you have like Illuminati bullshit happening? And like, we're already getting a lot of heat from crazies, <laughs> P.S., about <laughs> being associated with like dark Illuminati circles or whatever, right? Then you just have this show wall to wall with like cr- cryptic books and texts and you know pyramids with eyeballs in them as characters on the Masonic show. Masonic symbols, uh Grunkle Stan's hat uh had a uh semi Masonic symbol that m- people have since in the Disney uh plus version has censored because it bears too much of a resemblance to the Islamic crescent. Wow. Like there is all sorts of reasons why standards and practices would lose their minds about this stuff. But but no, it wasn't canceled by Disney. It was actually the decision of Hirsch and team to end it after that time perfectly. This thing does such a good job, especially with the like 
initial introduction of this is just a fun world to play in. We can have so many fun episodes about different monster types, and you could have just done that. But instead, he brings us this like amazing... Uh, really well developed series of plot points to like bring this whole thing to an end in a big epic four part series of episodes but also all throughout especially season two they build to it absolutely beautifully uh, with with other different episodes that drop like massive lore bomb. I mean this is baby's first like lore show mm. essentially too. I feel like for a lot of kids out there this was kind of like a uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. This was like a really early version of like picking it apart and 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 learning all these different little easter eggs and things that that push the story forward in these different ways and I just really appreciate how well thought this show is and how little it talks down to kids, how little it concerns itself with what is going to be marketable or Mm -hmm. what is going to be, you know, a big seller for toys or whatever it is. And it's literally just like, this is the show the guy wanted to make. He just happened to not want to make a super blue show. So it's for everybody. And again, it's on my list now of like, I really hope when he likes this show and she's old enough, because I absolutely will sit down and watch all 40 episodes with her when the time comes. It's Oh God. Not only, not only is it lore filled, but it is actively a mystery box with uh, ciphers and passwords and secret codes and, uh, you know, external games that the creators would play with fans, like leaking hints on the Internet to find real world clues and puzzle pieces. Like they were absolutely just going doing every little thing. I feel like uh, that it feels like these creators Every crazy idea they've always wanted to incorporate into a show to make it as epic as possible was executed. Right. And it's just beautiful. The animation is smooth and consistent. The character designs are memorable and unique. The monster mm-hmm. designs are terrifying. Uh, the backgrounds are intricate and beautiful. It's a, it, again, I really cannot stress enough. This might be the ultimate animated series for weirdos who love the potential and beauty of what an animated series can do. I'm also surprised you called it my uh, my old porn star name, uh, which is Lore-Filled Mystery Box. <laughs> <laughs> I remember your classic catchphrase, oh, I'm going to nut unless you answer my riddles three. <laughs> <laughs> and oftentimes they did. It was too simple, the riddles. So I ended up getting, having to go to the doctor's office many times. Because of my uh, testicular issues. All right, let's get into it, everybody. <laughs> it's a lore-filled mystery box. Let's what take walks it away. on three le- four legs in the morning? It's a it's a man. Tough it's a man. man. A man oh, in his oh, life. No, oh, shit. No. I really need to not. Please don't answer this last one correctly. What flies and is time? time. It's oh, time. Shit. It's time. Shit. Oh, God. My... It hurts. It burns. It's an active burning feeling. Yeah, yeah. It didn't last. My career didn't last very long. And I'm just surprised I was able to father a child years later. Gravity Falls is an animated TV series created by Alex Hirsch for the Disney Channel. The show takes place in Gravity Falls, Oregon, which is filled with the supernatural and paranormal, and is also where Dipper Pines and his twin sister Mabel are sent to spend the summer with their grunkle Stan. The show ran for two seasons, uh, starting in 2012, with a total of 40 episodes. I think another couple things I really appreciated, which we'll get more into 
It's a really cool, earnest brother-sister relationship that doesn't fall into a lot of trappings of of brother-sister relationships you see often in shows. Also, they really get around the no parents issue really well Mm -hmm. with this. They're just like, we don't have parents. It's a it's a it's a authorityless land in a lot of ways, and that that's a perfect way to do that. Like they're not dead. We don't deal with the tragedy of anything. We're just they just sent them here for the summer. So let's get into Alex Hirsch's early days. He's kind of the mastermind behind this whole thing. Hirsch was born and raised in Piedmont, California starting in 1985. He does indeed have a twin sister named Ariel that Mabel is based on. Hirsch said, as long as I could hold a pencil, I was drawing and telling stories and making jokes. I've just been lucky that no one ever stopped me, and now I can do that for a living. Also, yes, his parents sent the kids away to their Gronty Lois's cabin in the woods that's during the summer. Aunt. Yeah, that's great aunt. I should, uh, my bad. Grunkle Stan stands for great uncle, and uh, the counterpart is Gronty Lois is where they would go in real life uh, to Lois's cabin in the woods during the summer between the ages of 9 and 13, and their experiences there were the basis of the TV show. Hearst spoke about how the summers were long. There was no TV or internet, so he was forced to fill that time with his imagination and would conjure stuff up like gnomes in the surrounding forest and a monster in the nearby lake just to keep himself entertained. And that's really like the first few episodes of Gravity Falls. They pull those monsters out. Here's a hilarious anecdote from that time. I remember being pretty convinced, this is from Alex Hirsch, of course, I remember being pretty convinced that leprechauns were real and that I was going to catch one. I was pretty young at that point, but I built a leprechaun trap that was made to look like a tiny hotel. There was a ramp where the leprechaun could walk into the hotel, see a Lego pot of gold on the other side, try to reach it, fall through a trap door, go through a tube, wind up in a biscuit tin, and be trapped. My mom, encouraging my madness, told me that the leprechaun might escape and that I needed to uh, needed a shot glass of whiskey down there to keep him occupied while he was in there. As you might imagine, I did not catch a leprechaun, but I remember when I went to check on the trap, there was a hole burst through it with green glitter everywhere, and the whiskey was missing. In my gut, I knew it was my mom. I knew my mom did that so that I would feel like I caught a leprechaun. And yet, at the same time, I was so grateful that she did. I was so grateful that she knew that I believed this stuff enough that she was willing to encourage it. And that just gives you a good taste of just the allowing of really fun, imaginative stuff in his childhood home really propelled him to be able to come up with all this stuff later on in his life. Um. The show is based on Alex's childhood obsession with the unknown. Alex said, I'd say the genre or theme of the show is definitely in that world of the paranormal, the supernatural as a kid. I was just obsessed with that stuff. While everyone was out playing dodgeball, I was lying on the back top waiting for a UFO to take me out of elementary school. I was obsessed with the Loch Ness Monster. I would look through these books in the library and dream about visiting Loch Ness one day. That stuff was really kind of what I loved as a kid. Uh, He also said, my twin sister Ariel thought it was stupid. She would frequently use my love of the paranormal to mock and harass me and drive me crazy. One time she claimed she saw a UFO and basically got me to go on a wild goose chase looking for it. That relationship between me and my sister, my obsession with this stuff and her obsession with annoying me seemed like it might be a seed for a TV series. That's where the core of the idea came from. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mabel Pines, the character voiced by Kristen Shaw, is her most, uh, I guess, visible Visual trait is her colorful sweaters, Mm -hmm. and that uh, part of it was based specifically on a treasure troll, uh, like, custom-knit sweater that Ariel used to wear all the time when she was in fifth grade, a garish uh, abomination of a garment that, uh, Holden, I'm just going to show you, she has been uh, wearing it uh, multiple times in public appearances, and it is, like, so comically awful, it's like it was made for the show. Uh, it has like sequin gems, a weird topless troll in a skirt. It is it is a garish nightmare of a garment. Um, and uh, Ariel has said that she is not like Mabel IRL, like the era in which she was as fearless and just silly and driven uh, really was when she was in fifth grade. And like it's that particular moment in her childhood that is now like preserved in amber through this character. Um, which is kind of an amazing thing, especially one of the things that I really love about this show is how much it really does capture that awkward era between kid time and teenage time where uh, yes. Alex Hirsch talks about being kind of a late bloomer and kind of being in this moment that I feel like a lot of myself and a lot of fans uh, listening right now would appreciate where like you're not built or ready to take on the world of romance and social hierarchies and coolness and driving and all this stuff. But also you are like being slowly and deliberately denied the comforts of like imagination and play that you used to take comfort in. And while uh, Dipper uh, is, you know, awkward and sweaty and constantly insecure, Mabel is still just like having fun and doing whatever she wants and is like kind of, uh, you know, even her idea of romance is just like this pastiche of like cool 80s cartoons and anime characters and TV and vampire novel protagonists where like she is doesn't isn't quite in the reality of the teenage years yet. And that like it just it just so it hits so close to home and it really uh, the writing staff talks about how. They would sit down and before an episode was like the script was finished, they're like, what are we saying about childhood? There would be entire days where they wouldn't do any explicit writing and everybody was just told to go back to their desk and think about highly specific memories of that nine years old to 12 years old stage of development. Right, right. And like fill it with as many details that hit home for the viewer. And advice to some of our listeners, if you are getting your first hand job, don't let them make you guess riddles, okay? (laughs) Because it will cause an issue for the rest of your life. 
<laughs> wait, wait, it, it's, it, wait, are you saying you were working adult film sets when you were 13 years old? Is that <laughs> no, what no, but that was just, you know, why I have my <laughs> affliction. And then later I got into pornography, I think is just some way to make ends meet. Jake. Uh, I see, it's I just, see, it I see. came hand in hand, uh, literally came hand in <laughs> <laughs> Came hand in hand, Jake. He also actually did keep several disposable cameras on him everywhere he went. His sister really did wear the wacky sweaters, as you already mentioned. And also, she apparently did have a different crush on a dumb boy every week. His sister also did uh, got a pet pig in the TV show because she was obsessed with having a pet pig when they were growing up and even made a shrine to pigs in her childhood bedroom. The great uncle Stan character was actually, even though it was the Gronty Lois's cabin they'd go to that character was more based by on his grandpa stan uh alex's grandpa stan who according to alex quote was a tall guy that told tall tales and would frequently mess with us to get a rise out of us uh one story that uh hirsch tells is uh though he didn't know his grandfather for long he died uh when hirsch was relatively young uh at one point he handed him a spoon and said that this was an airless piece, a, a priceless piece of uh, the Hirsch family silver. And that when he like grows <laughs> up, he'll get more of it. And his mom had to come in and be like, you idiot. No, he just got that. He stole that from the hotel. Look, it says like the residence inn on it. Like, don't <laughs> stop lying to my son. Also, stop stealing spoons from the hotel, you <laughs> maniac. Uh, Alex, as you've already it was mentioned the depression. God, he lived through the depression and a world <laughs> war. You didn't know when you'd get your next spoon. He was born in 85. Oh, the dad, the grandfather. Yeah. OK, I was about to say I was like, he grew up in the night in the heyday of like the happiest time in America. And even though I could not confirm this, Alex Hirsch's uh, dad was half Jewish, and I can only assume that was the Jewish grandpa that did that. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. It just feels very Catskills. Feels very Borscht Belt Indeed. to pull that many shenanigans. Uh, you mentioned it briefly, but Alex's number one influence, which makes sense when you keep in mind when he was born, was The Simpsons. Alex said, just the idea that a show could be about a family and also not about a family. That it could have this core of funny characters who like each other and be for both kids and adults and yet go to these completely absurd places and come back to this place where it's all about these characters which is exactly Gravity Falls he also liked how the show quote didn't talk down to its audience a lot of kids shows limit themselves they are kids shows first and shows second the Simpsons was something that growing up I could tell it was smarter than I was I could tell there were layers and hidden jokes and references that I didn't understand but I understood the characters great shows have these kinds of layers and have that sort of broader appeal, not just to kids, but to adults. I really super agree with this. One of my favorite things about being a huge fan of The Simpsons as a kid was I got all those Simpsons encyclopedias. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, those were great books. They would go episode by episode through the whole show and do a breakdown of the show. And one of the parts of uh, for each episode, one of the little sections was just showing you what all the references were. Mm-hmm. And so I would watch new movies because of that. I would watch like classic films and you know be curious about stuff from before my time because of the Simpsons making references. And and we will what? figure it out. Like, you didn't understand when you were seven years old what that whole Emmanuel Noriega reference was about? Yeah. Or like the whole Rosebud yeah. Burns thing. Grover you know? Cleveland spanked me on two non-consecutive occasions. I understood what that <laughs> meant when I was seven. 
<laughs> so that's paddling. So <laughs> yeah, I, I love that, and I totally see that in the in the show itself. There's so many references to amazing, especially like horror movies and stuff that just kids will definitely not be encountering for years to come. And you know, the kids obsessed with Gravity Falls who later do get into that stuff are going to watch, be watching some horror movie. And like Evil Dead, for instance, and see the animal heads on the wall screaming and be like, oh, holy shit, that was from, you know what I mean? And I just absolutely adore that about the show. At the study session uh, at the, you know, go patreon.com forward slash whizbrew, find out how you can join our weekly study group where we do a live uh, experience with uh, the next week's research topic. Uh, we watched the uh, the rumble mix mix punches mix stuff it uh-huh. whatever uh the street fighter past each episode and yes. there's a whole side uh plot where seuss gets trapped in the, the fake tron arcade game but instead yes. of being sucked into the video game world he is he physically crawled into the arcade cabinet and is stuck inside it <laughs> and like the kids don't know what the fuck tron is right, right. well maybe they exactly. do tron legacy had just come out i don't whatever I, the point is there's Stuff for people of all, for kids of all ages, and yeah, he 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 goes on to talk about these references and stuff. Uh, uh, and I love this quote, and this is exactly what I was getting to. This is another quote from Alex Hirsch. It respected its audience enough. Talking about The Simpsons, it respected its audience enough to reward our attention. They'd say, we're going to cram this thing with references, with jokes and little callbacks. And if you are obsessive enough, if you love it enough, you it will reward your obsession. You will notice that it's the same sea captain in this episode as the last one. You'll remember that Sideshow Bob is still out there looking for revenge. And that just made the show so much more compelling and allows you to go back and rewatch it over and over again, catch little things, especially with this show where there's all these later show twists and turns that they're planning the seeds of leading up to that stuff of course there's also for influences x-files and twin peaks which is an undeniable influence alex refers to gravity falls as quote more of a marriage between simpsons and twin peaks than anything the main crux of these shows that he instilled into his own show was the mixing of the possible with the impossible which grounded all of the supernatural magical stuff in a way that made it feel real and i think that that is when you look back on all the sh- movies we loved in like the 80s and 90s they would be, it would be ridiculous premises but they would there would be enough heart in the writing and enough uh dimensionality in the characters that y- you would just buy it and believe it i mean et ghostbusters you know these sorts of things like you you just it's it's the it's ha- it's nailing that mixture down and this show again i can i cannot uh stress this enough this show nails that on pretty much every single episode there is something they're getting across when it comes to the development of the characters when it comes to the heart of the show when it comes to be about kids growing up that's really like that's what it's about and and they just always instill it and there's that they they won't put an episode out if it doesn't have that perfect blend of those different those different things he also did regularly read the weekly world news when he was a kid uh back when it was in print if you don't know anything about that by the way like (laughs) i guess it's still 
kind of exists, but like the weekly world news would just be at the checkout aisle mm-hmm. at the grocery store and every single issue featured a cover that was completely insane. Like the existence of Bat Boy or Elvis still being alive or UFOs, what have you. just Princess Diana found in with Swamp Monster Husband. But it would be next to all of the like, actual, oh, yeah. quote unquote, like real news magazines and stuff. So as a kid, you would just be like, yeah, the world's just made of magic. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's a great example of how that is true. It's totally crazy. Like, uh, you know, but that that's a perfect I remember the specific the- conversation when my mom saw me like captivated by the weekly world news being like, that's fake, Jake. And I was like, uh, counterpoint, that's a newspaper and newspapers <laughs> are true. And I love that that was the, but you know, it was kind of sad because real adults would really believe <laughs> what they read in it, which is insane to think back on. But, uh, you know, we, we did, we had people who really believed that the Weekly World News was uh, telling truth. It's kind of nuts. Uh, and then it turned really dark when the internet happened uh, and men stormed a building after that. But we'll get to that later. Another influence was the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes and the way, quote, and the way that they would have weird fantasy and then down to earth funny character comedy. Another uh, example of that blend. Alex said, so I put all that in a blender and stewed it together to create Gravity Falls. And that really is what it feels like, a mishmash of just like a very specific person's very specific favorite things. So in the uh, Disney, admittedly Disney produced documentary, One Crazy Summer, Look Back at Gravity Falls, uh, Alex Hirsch actually uh, brings up a document that has the first listed uh, seed of Gravity Falls, um, which was the result of a challenge that he did over the Internet with an old college friend where every day they had to submit five original ideas for a television show. And both of them found the experience so grueling that by day seven, they both agreed to like quit at the same time that like nobody wins. And uh, the fifth idea on the last day they were doing it, uh, it literally says gravity falls idea number five. And the premise is not quite what we expected it to be, but there is still a uh, a little bit, if I may read the original premise. Uh, Greg Cobalt has one year left to graduate college when his girlfriend leaves him and he has something of a nervous breakdown. Deciding that he's sick of his life and everyone he knows, he packs up his van and his magic eight ball and drives north to Gravity Falls, a place he knows nothing about but has often seen mystery spot style bumper stickers for. As it turns out, Gravity Falls is a weird, mysterious town where strange things happen with startling regularity. Uh, And then it begins to break down because he's clearly tired of doing this challenge. So he just says, uh, and there's uh, maybe Greg has a magic typewriter, uh, but it's actually cursed. (laughs) How about some gnomes? There's also gnomes. Gravity Falls is nuts. I love it. (laughs) Really? You love it? Yes, I'm sold, Alex. You sold me. Gravity Falls is going to be the next hit sitcom on Fox. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. I'm going to call my mom. Mom, this is Alex. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, they didn't have trash bags at Target. I know, right? Guess what? I got my own hit show on Fox. Muffled sounds of mom overjoyed on the other side of the phone. That was, and you know, I, it took me, I never even realized the phrase gravity falls is a, almost a pun because gravity makes things fall. Fall. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I never put that together. But also like if I hear that, I'm immediately, if I had to guess, it's just twin peaks. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. It's right around the corner. 
so after graduating from Piedmont High School, he went to attend California Institute of the Arts. Uh, Holton, are you blowing past the most significant moment of young Alex Hirsch's life? You're talking about Super Paper Bag Man? No, I'm talking about when he <laughs> won his local high school's bird calling competition in 2002. So, sorry, I, I read that factoid. I breeze right past it. What is the greater meaning, Jake, that you're placing before me about him winning a bird calling competition in high school? Uh, he was then invited to appear on The Late Show with David Letterman, and there is yes. screen caps of that appearance. Yes, this is all true. This is all a fact I, I idiotically left off. Thank you, Jake. I'm, I, okay, okay. You're acting like this is unimportant, but what is the... We talked about The Simpsons. We talked about Calvin and Hobbes. We talked about The X-Files. We talked about Twin Peaks. We talked about all these fucking elder millennial comedy irony, snarky points of reference. And the one piece of the puzzle missing was David Letterman. And he even got a taste of that. Literally one on thing camera. we didn't talk about. April Hedden! I'm unplugging my mic. I'm disconnecting from the call. Good luck with the rest of the episode. I formally am resigning from Wizard and the Bruiser until my demands. How are we supposed to know what the coconut gun does, bro, if we don't hear it in a song once a day? All right? I forget. My memory's shot, dude. Fucking, you know what I mean? We're jamming over here 24-7 you if know you know what I'm talking well about. well which Kong has a funny face, and it's lanky. <laughs> it's always been lanky. It's never not lanky. Even when he's sad, it's his true character <laughs> flaw because he gets so upset and everyone just points and they laugh at his funny face. Reminds me of me in high school. Speaking of high school, he graduated from Piedmont High School. Alex Hurst did after that incredible moment on David Letterman. Maybe it did shape him a little bit. He got a taste of showbiz. The limelight. Yeah. Might have pushed him towards entertainment a little bit more. Also, I mentioned Super Paper Bagman. That was technically, apparently, his the first thing he ever created. Uh, it was in second grade. He said, I drew a face on a paper bag, and I gave him a cape and called him Super Paper Bagman <laughs> because my creativity was pretty limited at that stage. Thankfully, Super Paper Bagman got recycled, forcing me to come up with better ideas. And better ideas he did come up with over at California Institute of the Arts. Alex said, it's expensive as all hell, but anyone who loves animation and wants a career in it wants to go there. I I mean, if this is a thing for you, if you're studying, you're like, how do I become one of them dang Pixar boys? Go to CalArts, sell your house, sell your parents, and go to CalArts. Apparently, because you'll it seems you get a job in entertainment after going. Well, there. it seems like if you graduated in 2006 or 2007, you get mm. a job uh, alongside. Uh, the talents like Pendleton Ward and J.G. Quintel and that entire uh, class of um, Rebecca Sugar even. like It's all, I'm saying like, Patrick and Patrick McHale, the fucking um, uh, over the garden wall guy. Uh, yeah, no, there was a specific class of CalArts grads that gave birth to this CalArts style of thoughtful, funny, uh, intricately woven yep. kids shows. 
um, that, you know, got their start with Mysterious Adventures of Flapjack, which is also an amazing show, especially someone that I know, Holden, you love a goddamn Ren and Stimpy. Like it is it is a spiritual successor in almost every shape and way. Yeah, Alex said, we were all friends in school and pushed each other and made each other laugh. It's been a direct progression from elementary school kid watching Disney cartoons to kid at heart currently making cartoons for kids for Disney. While at college, also, we met another person who would end up being a version of themselves on the show, his buddy, Jesus. Alex said, the handyman, Zeus, often mistaken uh, for being pronounced Zeus, like the Greek god, it's S-O-O-S, Zeus, is 100% inspired by my friend named Jesus from college, who was this just friendly, lovable, and deeply strange human being. He was the kind of guy who gravitated to sticking around college even after he had graduated. Just the sort of dude that wanted to help everyone out. It's like mm-hmm. one-to-one if you ever see a picture of the guy. Oh, cool. Jesus Shambrot. Um, it's like the teeth, the shape, even the hat, the smile. It's like <laughs> nuts. The only thing that is apparently different is uh, the voice that Alex Hirsch uses for Seuss's voice. Uh, after getting frustrated, not quite, uh, you know, people would be like, so he's like a laid back guy. Okay, I got it. Hey, what up, man? It's me, Seuss, tubular. They'd be like, no, that's not it. He's like more heartfelt. He's more like, you know, he's more mellow than that. And be like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. What is up, my my sky partner? It is I. It's like, fuck, no. He's kind of like, uh, he's just kind of like goofy. He's kind of like the, the Seuss voice is not how Seuss actually talked, but it is spiritually the experience mm-hmm. of talking to Seuss. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. While at CalArts, he created a bunch of stuff, including his senior film, Off the Wall, which combined live action and animation. He also got selected by Nicktoons Network for their original series, Shorts in a Bunch, to show his short piece, Cuddle Bee Hugs and Such, which he created with future Pixar alum, Adrian Molina. He graduated from CalArts in 2007, and really, it's annoying to me how just successful immediately he was. After graduating from CalArts as a writer and storyboard artist, uh, after graduating from CalArts, he was a writer and storyboard artist on The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack, the show that Jake had already mentioned, the spiritual successor to Ren Stimpy. Uh, This was on Cartoon Network during that amazing heyday time. We talked about Flapjack. Probably on the Adventure Time episode. On the Adventure Time episode, because it's also where Pendleton Ward got his first big uh, uh, dip in the industry, Patrick McHale, and J.G. Quintel, all these uh, titans of modern animation that have since gone on to make these billion-dollar franchises, million-dollar movies, and just like 
the entire vibe that I've been talking about that Gravity Falls also epitomizes was like born from the staff of Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. Absolutely. Flapjack, which is about a young boy raised by a whale named Bubby and mentored by an old pirate named Captain Knuckles. Knuckles. And it's a show about it's Captain Knuckles. Sorry. Clearly, I'm not that familiar. We'll do an episode someday. He wasn't raised by some radical echidna, Holton. He was raised by a salty <laughs> sea captain voiced by one of Bill Murray's brothers. So he, does, he doesn't talk like this, then, eh? <laughs> yeah. All right. It's me, Knuckles. <laughs> I'm here to teach kids how to smoke cigarettes. Uh, too weird? No. Is that too weird in the episode? perfect. Uh, (laughs) all right. So let, from Flapjack, he immediately gets the Gravity Falls gig. Again, it's very obnoxious to someone like me. was kind of this, like, uh, also Uh ran, also involved a lot of talent from CalArts. Uh, it's where he supposedly started his friendship with Justin Roiland, who did a voice on the show. Uh, but that's, Fishhooks is neither here nor there. Fishhooks did not make a dent. But it did get his foot in the door with Disney. It was working on fish hooks that got him a chance to pitch. And uh, according to Hirsch, his uh, he had three shows to pitch in front of, uh, I believe it was Mike Moon, who has been his like corporate executive champion through all these years. It was uh, Mike Moon that hired him at Netflix after he was uh, installed as the head of adult animation for this service. Um, and uh, I... One was about a, like, squad of time-traveling gentlemen. One was about a squad of time-traveling dolphins. <laughs> and the third was Gravity Falls. Mm. And uh, of those, uh, Mike Moon supposedly said that, like, okay, well, at least that one has a brother and sister. So there's, like, a relationship and a heart or just something we can work with that isn't dolphins who can travel through time and solve mysteries. And also, Alex said, from the moment that I pitched it to them until now, I've just been really surprised and really grateful for the fact that they've embraced it. They never tinkered with it. They never said, add a talking race car or anything like that. They respected and been excited by my vision the whole way through. I'm very fortunate. I made a conscious choice when I pitched this that I wasn't going to change it. If they had said, that's great, but what if they all rapped? I would say, it's a pleasure doing business with you. See you later. I was very fortunate that the first studio I went to was the, at a place creatively where they wanted something different and they wanted something creator-driven. Now, this quote actually might surprise you because you, if you're at all familiar with Hirsch's complaints about attempts from Disney to alter or pull back on his content, this is actually all attributed to Disney's legal department and the censors. Standards and practices. Yeah, when it came to the exact executives working with creative when it came to those folks uh they were very very uh supportive uh so yeah the 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 bad guy came in the form of of the lawyers worried about offending and this that and the other we're gonna get that in a little bit but let's get into this writing process because it's insane So when looking for writers, Hirsch, quote, cast a wide net because the show is such a wild mixture of mystery, adventure, action, comedy, and character. So some of the writers on the staff had only done live action television up to that point. It did not matter because he needed folks in the stable that had experience writing a certain type of TV show. X Files and Twin Peaks, regardless of whether it was animated. Hearst said, We basically just read a hundred scripts and the three that made us laugh, we called them up. That was our process. As for the writing process itself for each episode, Hearst says he usually will go in with, as he puts it, and quote, in the shower thought. And they'll quote, bat it around, try to break the axe. And the hardest thing is, 
always to find a character story that will actually uh, that actually uncovers, explores, and pushes tension on something our characters care about. That is properly explored via the magic or monster or impossibility of the week. So a character story that uncovers or p- explains or pushes tension, something the characters care about, but it has to be pushed forward by the monsters. So we talked about how a lot of times they'll have one a lot of element A, but not enough of element B. Uh, some of element C, but no element A. And that is really finding that tricky balance that I've been congratulating the show for having since we started the episode. That's the real pro- issue for them. So as he was assembling uh, a lot of these writers, including uh, Shion Takeuchi, who was previously on regular show, uh, Josh Weinstein, who is a legendary Simpsons writer, as well as Futurama, uh, disenchantment, as well as Matt Chapman, uh, one of the Chapman bros responsible for the entire Homestar Runner universe. It is kind of this like amazing list of people from like animation's golden age and the new class and even the internet all working together. And uh, at some point, Hirsch felt like he was overwhelmed and needed kind of like an assistant, needed like a first mate, someone to like bounce ideas off of, someone to like really get a shot of adrenaline into the show because it was a lengthy development process. There was a uh, flash animated pilot that was done as a concept for Disney that was really rough around the edges. You can find it uh, on YouTube. A lot of the character designs weren't settled. A lot of the setting wasn't settled. Uh, And he ended up kind of putting out feelers back at his old alma mater, CalArts, and asked like, Who's like the who's the most in demand? Who is making the most waves? Who's like the craziest like white hot flash student that's like been coming up recently? And uh, he was pointed to a creative named Michael Rianda who put out a amazing short film called Work that you can find online. He then, after Gravity Falls, went on to direct The Mitchells and the Machines, which is versus the Machines which is one of my favorite animated movies of the past 10 years. Yeah, and I still need to watch it. And I, I, I was, it was cool to see that on this list and totally makes sense, right? It's just this great underappreciated animated film that came out in the middle of pandemic on Netflix, right? And so, it was uh, yeah, Rianda who started just kind of being almost a gopher for Hirsch that uh, mm. you know would get a look at scripts and storyboards and just say like, Ah, it really feels like you're dropping the thread on this like character arc or, hey, like, wouldn't it be funny if this happened? And he just had so many ideas that he became kind of this like uh, right hand man and like co collaborator with Hirsch over like how much deeper you can push things, how much more extreme you can push the lore and the characters. Uh, Then from the Disney side of things, there was a uh, the supervising producer was a guy named, I want to say, yes, Rob Renzetti, who was kind of the opposite to Rianda, who was actually like, no, we got to get this done on time. No, that would cost too much. Okay, what if we did this instead? Then we could get it done under the deadline. And so there was, he had like a nice court of other creatives helping him out and fleshing out this universe uh, and kind of keeping the dials continuously tweaked for maximum results. And uh, it's it's kind of this triad of producers that Hirsch kind of claims uh, kept the show as this like ideal machine of creativity and feasibility. Yeah, and I mean we're talking like this process is intense. Like they'd have it's kind of funny how little 
of the original writer's words, it seems, end up in a final draft. Like the writer's really just a, on the staff outside of Rian and Hirsch is like a vessel to just create like the skeleton mm-hmm. script that they're going to then rip apart and change. And so they, they do they do notes. The writer goes off, does another draft, comes back. But then Hirsch and Rianda, they do a pass in the script and rewrite quite a bit of it. It Actually, in this late stage, they actually stay up for, quote, about 48 hours prior to the delivery of every script. They, like, let each other... They they give each other sleep breaks while the other one works on the script. And, I mean, so they fucking beat this script to death before they uh, uh, turn it in. They, they hit every angle i mean that is i read that and i was like maybe i will just never be cut out for that because i don't i don't know how i can stay up for 40 episodes they said for 48 hours beat just fucking hammering to pieces this script over and over again to make sure it, it just nails exactly what it's going for that is special though right jake i don't think most writing staffs or or shows operate like that i think that's why gravity falls is so special the fact that hirsch himself just voiced so many of the lines of the roles within the series every you know grunkle stan seuss like uh bill cypher so many people um that even when it was down to just like recording the final mix for the episode, he and Rianda could still punch up lines and still add like individual jokes that like weren't didn't make it all the way through this process. Like every single second was, yeah, under the gun for maximum results. Yeah. Also, that's why I kind of feel like no wonder he only wanted to do yeah. 40 episodes. I just I don't see how you could keep going at that rate. Uh, yeah, they said um, what they do is they the storyboard they do. After that, it goes to the storyboard phase. The storyboard gets pitched to the network. I just want to read this one quote from Hirsch. Uh, kind of reiterates what you're saying, but there's a little bit more. That's sort of the first provable moment. That's our version of a table read. We see, is it playing at that stage? If it is, we add a couple jokes and send it off to editing. If it isn't, we go back into rewrite and do whatever we can in the very small amount of time we have that usually involves me and Mike doing more late nights it's just that's such an insane amount of work I, I don't understand it I don't maybe I'm just getting old but that's crazy to me that's so that's so intense that I mean process. if you care if you care if you wanted to be like if your inspirations age. are Twin Peaks Calvin and Hobbes yeah, and Golden true. Age Simpsons yep. it's gonna take 48 hours to even like just stand next to those things so moving into the animation process one of Hirsch's CalArts roommates got the gig as art director his name is Ian Worrell they went through different iterations of what the show would look like, initially going with something more avant-garde. However, they returned to a look that is simple and effective. Hearst said, I always loved the design of the Muppets on The Muppet Show. Even though Kermit can't blink and he doesn't have legs, he's got those round eyes and skinny little arms, and because there's so little there and he's so simple, you fill in the blanks with your mind. I wanted these designs to be simple and iconic. The actual designs of the characters themselves are very inspired by myself and my sister. I always wore a baseball cap wherever I went because I didn't like showering and I didn't want people to see how messy my hair was. My sister would frequently wear these hideous neon colored sweaters that Jake mentioned before. Uh, do you want to talk more about animation before we get into casting or are you, are you ready to talk casting? There's just so many people that made the art department what it is. There was uh, the background painters, Matthias Bauer. There was uh, the prop designer. Andy Gonzalez uh, was the prop designer, so stuff like 
the journals and all the science devices was like his idea. The, you know, it was him that made this like iconic kind of madman scribble mixed with scientific drawings mixed with all this stuff that like gave the journal such a lived in quality. I think if the journals weren't such, I mean, there's such a focal point of the show that that had to be alluring, you know, that had to really draw you in and really entice you. So that's, that's pretty brilliant. Uh, Sean Jimenez, who kind of designed places like the gravity falls, the town itself, the mystery shack, all of these really iconic locations. Um, It really was an incredible, uh, Nikki Yang, who plays the voice of Candy, uh, who is also famous for being the voice of like Lady Rainicorn in uh, Adventure Time, uh, you know, worked as a storyboard artist. Emmy Sisierga, a webtoon uh, or a web comics uh, artist that you've probably seen a bunch of her stuff. Uh, sister of uh, of the of the other Sisierga. I'm I'm rambling. There's just so many. There's so much talent, and of course, also as a crazy element to the to the whole staff, they uh, hired a guy named Cackle Jack to berate everybody on the team if they were not working to their full potential. He was a bastard. He was a madman, mm. and uh, he really did make work a living hell there. But people say if it wasn't for Cackle Jack, this show would be more like a fucking uh, you know what I mean. Uh, I'm trying to think of a shitty animated show. Uh, b- Boogaloo Bear. <laughs> uh, what's one of those? Uh, Brickleberry. 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 Nobody yeah, likes yeah, yeah. Brickleberry. One of those shows. Nobody likes Brickleberry. No. We should do a fuck you episode on Brickleberry. We'd I have guess. to yeah, do an entire fucking episode on just that. Because that creator has done like all of the shitty looking family guy knockoffs that you like scroll past when you're trying to get yes. to something good on Netflix. Yes. It's like an entire subgenre of like, yeah. I hope nobody Fucking notices. Denver sucks. You're like, what is that? Shit? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? This is like the name of the show is Denver sucks. So let's get into the casting. Hirsch felt the most difficult role to cast was the sister part that was excellently voiced by Kristen Shaw. He felt she'd be perfect for the part after seeing her obsessive fangirl character in the show Fly the Concords, which was kind of a breakout for her. I love her role in that. And it reminded him of his own sister's obsession with boy bands back when they were kids. There's, of course, a boy band episode as well on the sh- on the series. Hearst said, unlike a lot of people who are funny, she also has this incredible voice that's very unique and specific and has this youthfulness about it. This a- It's this ageless voice. She could be a woman or she could be a kid. And I also feel like the, the guy who voices Dipper has that same quality, like... And you need that for what they are because it really is a show about kids on the verge of adulthood. Mm-hmm. So you have to have them feeling a little adult and a little childlike at the exact same time. After uh, he had the sister role locked, he knew he could uh, now compare the auditions for the role of Dipper to uh, Kristen's performance to get the right fit chemistry-wise. And Jason Ritter ended up winning out with his tightly wound neurotic counterbalance to her spaced-out, silly approach to the character. Hirsch talks about how he got a lot of comments on socials that his, the sibling relationship finally avoids the trope of being contentious and adversarial, which was not a conscious effort on his part, but more him just being honest about his own relationship with his sister. And even had to create a Ten Commandments in the writer's room in regards to their relationship because a lot of writers tended to want to lean into that sort of negative brother-sister trope. Conflict. You're a writer. You have to figure out what conflicts can you have between these characters. So, of course, a sibling rivalry. But it was, again, it's part of, like you said, this vision that Hirsch had to, like, 
keep these characters in a specific state, keep that relationship that they had between each other. Yes. Like kind of pure, kind of loving, kind of respectful. Um, and it feels like he already like he knew his audience too well because like before the show even like fully got off the ground, he begged people not to draw rule thirty-four of the two yeah. of them. Which uh, the, unfortunately they did not listen. Yeah, it's the problem with making demands like that. You're really probably it not was gonna, a very probably gonna take request. it as a challenge. It's I think I remember watching the show early on and like seeing the post online where he was like, Hey guys, it's based on my actual sister. It's just like really nice and important. And like, I know, uh, just please don't do that. And that would be great. Here they are naked in a coffin together. Don't oh. worry. I aged them up. You can tell I, I put so many pubes on them. <laughs> just covered in pubes. He's got pubes on his elbow. I feel like you're not listening to me, gargling man in the darkness. So He's I would. He's got pubes on his knees to make him older. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go back to working for 36 hours straight on this one joke about the Kennedy assassination. I'll see Sweet. you. I can't wait to see the episode. I'll talk about it on the forums. Hirsch ended up uh, doing the voices for Grunkle Stan and Seuss himself. Um, they were both that situation of just he was he was doing him as a placeholder and then took over with it. And it makes sense. You can hear him all throughout the show. There's tons of voices that he does for the show, which I think is a lot of fun and a f- good way to pay yourself even more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's got to be fun. Uh, so uh, now here. Wait, now a few is my more s- voices. A few more voices. I want to yeah, call do out. some more voices. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm I was gonna switch gears. An amazing performance by Linda Cardellini as uh, Dipper's teen crush yes. Wendy. Yeah, uh, of course. Classic. If you ever watched Freaks and Geeks, you already had a crush on teen Linda Cardellini, and it really just like she captures that like first like. Gorgeous yet somehow approachable gir- older girl that you are obsessed with when you are twelve. Oh my years God, old. I just realized she plays the exact same type of character on mm-hmm. Freaks and Geeks as well. A little bit like, uh, yeah, that's so funny. There's also tons of uh, comedy royalty in the mix. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge plays the waitress Lazy Susan. Um, Will Forte uh, plays Tyler, the cute biker, uh, with his iconic uh, catchphrase "Get him, get him." Uh, in uh, Thorup Van Orman, who was uh, the series runner and lead voice actor on Mysterious Mis- Misadventures of Flapjacks, plays Lil Gideon, the uh, delightful baseball quaffed uh, fake telepath. So funny. Mabel's friends Grenda and Candy are actually played by Carl Ferullo and Nikki Yang, who are members of the storyboard team. Uh, based and their characters were just based on their own interactions with Carl being a larger, louder man and Nikki being a uh, kind of quieter, soft-spoken woman. In less fun uh, voice acting roles, uh, there was uh, T.J. Miller playing the uh, the the grim, uh, older bully character Robbie, and. Uh, <laughs> And in a uh, now famously uh, retconned performance, uh, Louis C.K. played the horrifying, sweaty, one-armed monstrosity in the two in the multi-part series finale that Hirsch has since gone back and re-recorded. Which is so funny because it looks just it looks it's just Louis C.K.'s head. It is just Louis (laughs) C.K.'s. But now you just hear Alex Hirsch's voice Mm -hmm. very clearly as the vocals. It's very funny uh, for sure. I'd I'd be interested to hear what the original performance was like. Nick Offerman plays the uh, head secret agent that investigates the town. Nathan Fillion Uh 
does a great job as Preston Northwest, Pacifica Northwest's uh, dad. Stephen Root plays uh, Gideon's dad. Justin Rowling plays Blendon Bland in The Time Traveler, but we'll move on from there. <laughs> it's a really great voice cast, especially if you're a comedy weirdo. And you'll hear a lot of familiar voices. Totally. Hell, Alfred Molina plays a multi-headed bear. Yeah, it's definitely a show, too, that like is is going to reward so many kids who loved it as a kid and go back to it. Mm-hmm. Because all they're, gonna, they're about to enjoy a bunch of new stuff as an adult and then be like, oh, shit, I love this guy. And then you hear it. Uh, yeah. And you go back and, and watch it with your own kids. Isn't it sweet? <laughs> Isn't it precious, Jake? It's incredibly precious. So, yes, as we mentioned before, we'll get more into it now. Uh, Hirsch was allotted a lot of creative freedom when it came to the higher-ups, but faced a ton of backlash from the overly cautious Disney censors. In 2022, Hirsch released a video of some of the more hilarious lines and moments that the lawyers took umbrance with. You must watch this video. It is very, very funny. It includes needing him to alter filthy words in the script, such as poop face, and the removal of characters talking about dressing up as teddy bears because quote it may call to mind the people who dress up as stuffed animals as a furry fetish he also revealed one story that is especially telling and a little more uh sad i guess you could say when it comes to how disney treated certain subject matter up until recently uh it's in regards to a scene in the episode titled love god which had a few random couples in a diner falling in love due to cupid's magic Hearst said, when one of our storyboard artists presented the scene to me, she made one of the couple's two lovable old ladies. It was sweet and casual, and I knew instantly that it was going to turn into a huge fight with Disney. So naturally, I left it in. The note came back immediately. The scene of the two old ladies kissing in the diner is not appropriate for our audience. Please revise. I responded with one word. Why? This basically broke the censors. They couldn't think of a single way to phrase an answer to that question, so they made me talk on the phone so there would be no paper trail. They were terrified of sounding like bigots, but I honestly don't think they were bigots. I think they were cowards. They basically admitted that there was no good reason why I should change it, but that they they get complaints about this stuff from various homophobic parents and would rather avoid the headache. And couldn't I just drop it? Really reminds me of the Twilight Zone episode, actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was... I mean, the... The police in Gravity Falls, uh, Sheriff Blubbs and Deputy Durland, were consistently hinted at being a couple. And it was never like they couldn't like embrace. They couldn't kiss. Even in that same um, standards and practices video you mentioned, they do raise concerns that their relationship is too close and that it might uh, raise the ire of uh, anti-normal people. And uh, it wasn't until the final episode that they were sort of allowed to profess their love for each other, uh, exclaiming, we're mad with power and love, one says to the other. And that really was his triumphant moment after all of this issue with the two old ladies kissing in the diner. That was like his way to kind of finally get a victory over over the censors and and also was just very telling that they didn't say shit about that moment mm-hmm. uh, and that's just how far Disney had come in that short time uh, but of course it was a lot more marketable and stuff uh, after a certain point for them to be extra inclusive so they're just following the money and everything um, to wrap that story up Hurst said we probably had six or so 
conversations about it. It's one of the only times I had a face-to-face meeting with the censors. I didn't want to go back to my board artist and tell her that I lost this fight. I wanted to win. I wanted to set a precedent. And I argue that little things like this could mean the world to people that anyone who was pissed off deserved to be pissed off. But despite my greatest efforts, it finally came down to change the scene or we'll cut it out of the episode ourselves. So we ended up having to change it. But I love that he fought for that. And, you know, later series like The Owl House and uh, Amphibia would go on uh, to have more explicit uh, gay relationships. And it was definitely that seed from Gravity Falls that I think finally broke the dam. Yeah, for sure. So the series ended after just two seasons and 40 episodes. However, this was apparently intended long ago by Hirsch. Hirsch said, I wanted Gravity Falls to have a mystery that had a real answer, an adventure that had a real climax, and an ending that had to be a real conclusion for the characters I care so much about. Gravity Falls was never meant to be a series that goes on and on forever. It was meant to be an exploration of the experience of summer, and in a larger sense, a story about childhood itself. The fact that childhood ends is exactly what makes it so precious, and why you should cherish it while it lasts and i love that sentiment that's brilliant and the ending is so good do you want to get into favorite episodes should we get into highlights and stuff like that do you have more do you want to talk about the nitty-gritty of gravity i mean there's so much we could talk about there's the fan theories there's the real theories there's the uh various games that they played with the fans to try and like there was a famous moment where um, I don't want to say explicitly what the big spoiler is, just in case. You know, a lot of people do listen to these episodes just kind of being like, oh, yeah, I kind of heard of that. I always wondered what the big deal was. But there was this big secret that um, was hinted at throughout the first season, and it culminated with the second season. And uh, a lot of fans online had cracked the code and figured it out. And uh, in a there was an all-hands meeting where Hirsch brought in the writers and the artists to just try and figure out anything they could do to, like, get them off the trail for just a second. And Hirsch ended up uh, mocking up a fake animation frame of another character being the supposed secret reveal, mm. shot it on a monitor on his phone, and anonymously posted it to Reddit and the uh, cartoon 4chan board. And it definitely, like, got people... Uh, hyped up about this alternate diversionary theory for just a little bit longer before they themselves could reveal the secret. Nice, yeah. And also that fucking AR game. I want to talk about that for a second. I forgot about that. That thing is crazy. He literally like hid one of the uh, relics or whatever it was that they hid all over the place, like himself in Russia. <laughs> like, it was insane. Like, this is back when AR games were a lot more prevalent, but, you know, it was one of those that like hid clues all over the place. Perfect, perfect show to do this with. There's one story about uh, them hiding a scroll in a one of those like trick uh, bolts, like, you know, like uh, nuts and bolts, like uh, construction screw. And they uh-huh. wedged it into a telephone pole and they saw live on Periscope, just so you understand <laughs> what era of the Internet this was, as fans tracked it down, like got the bolt out of the telephone pole, looked at it and threw it into a bush. And Hirsch had to then post online more cryptic clues, hoping they would go back and pick it up from the bush. And it got like a little (laughs) sweaty before they finally were like, where you once discarded the bush ye shall be. Like what? Uh, The most famous one I feel like is the one at the end of the series where they hit a sculpture of main series antagonist, Bill Cipher, this wonderfully chaotic, powerful, 
living eye of uh, God <laughs> with a top hat. You know, the Illuminati pyramid on the back of the $1 bill. Uh-huh. And uh, fans went out to find it. And they f- there is a buried treasure chest with a personal note claiming that other fans uh, were free to find the the treasure chest for themselves and take a single coin as a thank you to all the fans that supported him along the way. Um, there was also one with like random puzzle pieces found in PO boxes and they had to like assemble it collectively and decipher the codes on it. It's insane how much thought went into just like keeping that fan engagement frothing, which is besides all the hidden messages and codes that were just blatantly on screen either in the episode or during the credits or during the opening sequence, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which said stuff like Stan is not what he seems and like other related clues. Some good, some favorite episodes uh, I enjoyed. Definitely. You could start from the beginning. I mean, the pilot's fantastic. Uh, It really sets the show up. Well, I mean, you'll fall in love with Schmebula. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A couple of, a couple of episodes I really enjoyed. We watched in our study Sunday study session, but uh, fight fighters, of course, I'm going with this one. They chose it for me. Uh, it features a ton of references to 90s era fighting games, especially Street Fighter 2, but also plays with like the boy upset obs- Mabel's boy obsession and all this kind of stuff. And it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, another one I love, he loved, he loved season two, episode 10, Northwest Mansion Mystery. That mm-hmm. is a great one because it just. Not only does it have a ton of like Evil Dead references, it actually get it's actually like legit creepy. I think for kids, it like really really uh, pushes that line. Oh on, yeah, on no, there's some kids. horror, horror like genuine holy shit moments. We we also though get a big ni- a nice redemption arc for Nemesis of the show Pacifica, as well as a story about breaking from generational cycles of drama. It really does everything the show does best. And uh, I, so I think it's an awesome example and, and great animation, man. I will say, too, I feel I can feel the change between season one and two, even on the animation. It really, really is is just so strong and gets better and better as the show goes on. Then right after that episode, we actually get two back to back major plot development episodes with Not What He Seems and A Tale of Two Stands. These do a great job of the other thing they're so capable of telling heartfelt stories while also telling like these bigger stories, these bigger, bigger um, uh, series long arcs. And they nail that in season two, especially. Uh, and of course, there's the lastly, there's the final four episodes. The Weird Mageddon finale arc is just like. It just delivers so damn well on so many things that they set up throughout the show. They really they they focus on every important relationship that they need to uh, to close everything out. And uh, unfortunately, I would say you definitely should go back and watch this the sh- the whole the show leading up because there's so many you know loose ends that they tie up or or so many characters they bring back that you wouldn't really it wouldn't really hit as hard if you didn't hadn't seen those previous episodes so yeah i those are the ones for me i don't know if you have a few more you want to throw out there before we uh uh, close it out with some final quotes oh yeah yeah uh the third episode uh headhunters involves a whole cadre of creepy uh wax figures that come to life and it is full of deep lore ones I mean, just uh, Larry King, Coolio. Uh, it has a bunch of really great stuff. Double Dipper is a fantastic episode. Uh, R.I.P. Tyrone, a realer one, never never was there. Uh, Dipper versus Manliness is a great one uh, that uh, Hirsch supposedly was really troubled by throughout its development. 
but it has like a great message about toxic masculinity and gave us the hit song Disco Girl. Uh, April, if you could play a little bit of Disco Girl for us real quick. What are other, I, there's so many episodes that I truly love. The Inconveniencing was a great one that kind of got us in, uh, involved with the whole teen squad that Wendy uh, rolls with. Uh, Scaryoke is a fantastic uh, kind uh-huh. of zombie movie uh, pastiche. Uh, I, sh- we, I made you watch The Gulf War, which is just full of absurdist humor. Yes. Amazing, amazingly funny moments. The Love God is great. It has the I Eat Kids balloon along with a bunch of other great jokes. Uh, and yeah, no, like if you can get through the entire uh, two seasons, that four part weird Mageddon is just such an inc- amazing, amazing yeah. finale for a show. It's it epic. really is just you will be shocked that like television closure can come that like completely and and well earned. Right, right. Yeah, pretty amazing. All right. Well, here it is. The final quote. But first, Jake. You gotta help me out, man. There's a target. All right, so a man and his son are in an um, doctor's the office. The, and, the mom's the doctor. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I live to not come another day. God, help I will me. never assist you in what you need assistance. <laughs> with. Seek ye a riddle partner elsewhere. <laughs> I gotta find harder riddles. Uh, here's your final quotes. Do I have two? Yes, I have two. Love these. Pulled these. Hirsch gives good interview, by the way. So catch him out there. I doing mean, that. I feel like his own sense of razzle dazzle is what, you know, in, in a way he was just hot off of these like other shows where, you know, he was a first time showrunner, and it really was his just sense of presence and his showmanship and his ability to like, tell a story and get people hyped with the voice with his vocal performances with the storyboard team he assembled yeah he's very self-aware he's very aware of what made his show successful and of like what influenced it and what executives need to be looking for and what studios need to be doing to to have better he turned down a job at pixar for the love of god because he didn't want he doesn't like working in film he wants to tell smaller so like that's insane to me but anyways brilliant dude uh hirsch on how studios need to treat new shows every creative act is inherently risky the key is to create an environment where risk is encouraged and failures have as small a cost as possible i believe failure is the first step to success the key is to fail as quickly as possible and try again to treat failure not as a terrifying ending but rather as an opportunity to learn something hirsch uh which is absolutely brilliant and is so rare these days and was so special at that time because you had stuff like gravity falls adventure time these are the shows we look back on so please could we have another era like this (laughs) uh hollywood hirsch uh had this to say about writing a show for all ages There's one way to do that, and that's to not think about anybody when you make the show. The best way to make a show that's going to resonate is to make a show that you'd love. It's to trust yourself, because there's really no way to test a hypothetical. Do I think this is funny? Do I like it? 
And if you like it and you think it's funny, then you just need to trust that others will. I am maybe blessed with the fact that I am a very immature adult. I am sort of a man-child. So if I like something, chances are it'll appeal to men and children both because I am somewhere in between. So am I, Alex. So am I. Jake, anything else before we close it out? Uh, as we as we take after I just April, please play uh, the YouTube mashup parody of the Gravity Falls theme, Graweedy Falls, uh, as we as we close it out and you know take us out with that. I I I find this version even more catchy than the incredibly catchy version we already have uh, as as composed by Brack Beak. But uh, I like Graweedy Falls better. So just make sure you got that going. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining us for the episode. This has been another episode of Wizard and the Bruiser. If you'd like to support us further, check us out on patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. That's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We do weekly bonus episodes for just $5 a month. And at the $15 layer, you can get uh, our weekly Sunday study session where you can actually hang out with us every Sunday while we cover whatever we're uh, whatever topic we're, we're covering that week. Uh, we watched a bunch Gravity Falls for the Gravity Falls episode. It was awesome. So check us out. Uh, and I didn't even mention this for the $5 layer. Add free episodes. Check us out on patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Check me out on Twitch. Twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. That's twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. Uh, I stream Monday through Friday. We're gaming on Thursday mornings. Maybe that's a good place to start, but catch me out there. Thank you so much. Jake! Really, just gotta emphasize how much that Patreon helps this show uh, exist. Uh, it would not exist without it. If you love the show, if you want to support us, the Patreon is the best way to do it. Uh, stop sending me weird cookies with my own face printed on them. I, I, I can't pay the <laughs> rent in cookies. It just makes me fatter. I don't want to be fatter. I want to pay the rent. <laughs> and the Sunday study session is a blast. So really go to patreon.com slash whizbrew. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung, on Instagram at bestjakeyoung. Uh, check out the Wizard and the Bruiser TikTok. That's a thing. It's a, it's Wizard Bruiser LPN. It's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great account. Love that account. And uh, follow me on Twitch or YouTube at Puppet Jared. I do the Thursday Cartoon Dumpster, which is a magical evening where we watch weird old bad cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s and just really just uh, yuck yuck it up while the insanity uh, just flows on screen. So if you like this uh, podcast, I think you'll enjoy the Cartoon Dumpster over at YouTube or Twitch Puppet Chair. And hey, always remember, never stop bruising. And please, if you must, I just, I cannot stress this enough. Keep on whizzing. Just whiz as hard as you can. We smoke weed every day, smoke every day, weed This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide 
at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.